coming up on this week's episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. These drugs can cause permanent damage, as I mentioned, bowel obstruction, gastroparesis, pancreatitis, loss of appetite. The, the side effects are not trivial. They, they occur in half of all the people in these studies, and severe side effects occur in 10%. Hey, everyone, it's Dr. Mark. Now, my goal is to remain as healthy as I can for as long as possible. And now in my 60s, I have never felt more energized. And I'm excited to share with you an essential part of my daily healthcare routine, Timeline Nutrition's MitoPure. You see, healthy aging research has shown the critical role that's played by the tiny powerhouse within our cells. It's called the mitochondria. Every aspect of health and well-being comes down to mitochondrial health. Wherever you look at the body, the immune system, the brain, the gut, skin, muscle, mitochondrial health is essential. Now, daily damage to our mitochondria is unavoidable, but for the first time, there's a supplement that has the power to restore the damage. Now, when taken daily, MitoPure renews your mitochondria, increasing cellular energy. And the results? Well, studies have found participants saw muscle strength and endurance increase without any changes in diet or exercise routines. Now, I can tell you, I personally felt the difference too. I use it every single day in my smoothie without fail, and I've noticed an improvement in my energy, my fitness, my endurance. I mean, I just hiked up a uh, mountain in Utah. It was up to 9,000 feet, 3,000 feet of elevation, eight miles there and back, and I felt great. And I'm going to be 64 in a few months. So I think this is such an exciting discovery, and it's very cool. It's a postbiotic. I love it so much. It basically comes from plants, and it's just a powerful medicine. Modicure is one of a kind. It's backed by science I trust. It does what no other supplement can. I'm just so impressed, and I wrote about it in my book, Young Forever, and I've been taking Modicure for years, and I recommend that you got to try it for yourself. Right now, Timeline Nutrition is offering my community 10% off MitoPure at TimelineNutrition.com forward slash Dr. Mark. That's T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E Nutrition, N-U-T-R-I-T-L-I-N dot com slash Dr. Mark, D-A-M-R-K. Use the code Dr. Mark, D-R-M-A-R-K. Getting quality sleep is incredibly important to me. Sleep is really one of the pillars of good health. So you can imagine my frustration when I used to lie down at night but couldn't fall asleep because I was just too hot. But those sleepless nights are behind me now thanks to Cozy Earth. The bed sheets are made from temperature regulating fabric that keeps you comfortable all night long. I naturally run hot, but with Cozy Earth's breathable sheets, I cool off and get right to sleep and stay asleep much faster. Cozy Earth offers a variety of luxury pillows, sheets, blankets, and more, and their durable weave fabric won't pill for 10 years, guaranteed. Plus, they pride themselves on the ethical production of all their products, so you can feel good about your purchase knowing you're supporting a truly responsible company. And right now, Cozy Earth is providing an exclusive offer for my listeners. You can get 40% off site-wide when you use the code Dr. Hyman. Just go to CozyEarth.com and use the code Dr. Hyman. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N. And now, let's get back to this week's episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. Welcome to The Doctor's Pharmacy. I'm Dr. Mark Hyman. That's Pharmacy with F, a place for conversations that matter. And today we're going to talk about one of our biggest crises, obesity and how to handle it. And it's part of our new health series called Health Bites. Little bites of information improve your health that will help you take small steps over time to improve the quality of your life. Now, let's get into it. 93% of Americans have some type of metabolic dysfunction, meaning they're on the spectrum somewhere from pre-diabetes to type 2 diabetes, or even a little bit of pre-pre-diabetes. <laughs> Six in 10 Americans have a chronic disease. Four in 10 have more than one. Over a billion people worldwide are considered obese, and two billion are overweight. Type 2 diabetes, cancer, and heart disease are rising, and few people know how to handle this, and people are desperate for solutions, which is why we're seeing an explosion is something we're going to talk about today, which I'm going to get to in a minute. So what is a solution 
to this obesity crisis? Is it bariatric surgery? Should we do gastric bypass on everybody? And we're doing this now on teenagers. Is it the new crazy explosion of the weight loss drugs like Ozempic, the GLP-1 agonists? Or is it maybe instead getting to the root cause? Today, we're going to do a deep dive on the science of the GLP-1 agonists, Ozempic, Wagovi, Manjuro, all those drugs. And the one getting the most headlines, obviously, is Ozempic, but it includes the other ones like Wagovi and Manjuro. Now, Ozempic, also known as semaglutide, it's a peptide. It's a once-weekly anti-diabetes injection that's formulated by the pharmaceutical company called uh, Novo Nordisk. Now, Ozempic has become the biggest contributor to the GDP of Denmark, where this company is. And it's a peptide just like insulin. It was approved as a diabetes drug, not a weight loss drug, but it's exploded as a miracle weight loss drug, garnering excitement from the public with the help of celebrities like Elon Musk and Kim Kardashian. It's all over the social media platforms like TikTok, which is singing its praises as the answer to our obesity problems. But as the research unfolds, we're quickly discovering that it's not risk-free and it comes with some very concerning side effects, which we're going to get into today. And that's why for this week's Health Bite, we're diving deep into the complexities of Ozempic. We're going to go deep in the science and we're going to talk about why this drug that's making waves, not only for being an obesity cure, but also for its Ozempic related risks and the risks to your health. We're going to get into that. We're seeing nationwide shortages for people who actually need the drug and for which it was designed for diabetes patients because everybody's using it for weight loss. We're seeing extraordinarily high costs, lack of insurance coverage, and severe, severe and very common side effects. Today, we explore the hurdles of Ozempic, the problems with this, and the question of whether or not it's truly a sustainable solution to our growing obesity crisis. Uh, you'll know my answer by the end of this podcast. We'll also shed light on the functional medicine approach that focuses on addressing the root causes and the power of nutrition, diet, and sleep for combating metabolic dysfunction. And we got to get to the root cause. Um, this was not a problem years and years ago. There were no obesity crises in the 1800s or 1700s or 1600s. This is a modern phenomenon that's mostly a late 20th and early 21st century problem. So let's get started in this deep uh, thought-provoking, I hope, episode on Ozempic as we start to answer important questions about its role in our current healthcare landscape and explore uh, maybe some other pathways to a healthier, more sustainable future where we can really treat the root cause of obesity. So let's get into it. Ozempic or semaglutide is something called a GLP-1 agonist binds to a particular receptor, a GLP-1 receptor, and it does a lot of things. We're going to get into what it does. And it was originally formulated by pharmaceutical companies as a way to treat and manage type 2 diabetes. And lately, it's been in the news and the media and medicine for being this anti-obesity miracle drug for weight loss. Now, there's a high demand for this drug. Uh, there's a lack of insurance coverage. As I mentioned, there's nationwide shortages, and it's hard to get for those who need it the most. We know it works for type 2 diabetes, but uh, it's also being looked at as a treatment for reducing cardiovascular risk, a cancer risk, Alzheimer's, and even as a treatment for longevity. Now, Novo Nordisk uh, approved another version of the drug called Wigovi, uh, which is the weight loss version, and it's even approved it for obese teenagers. Now, that is concerning to me, and and some are now proposing it be used in children as young as six, six years old, and there are studies for this. I mean, this is just staggering to me that we're thinking of using a lifelong drug with serious side effects on kids as young as six years old instead of addressing the root causes, which is our toxic food system. Now, the research on improving cardiovascular risk factors with 
Ozempic is strong, but it's not straightforward. Maybe it's because of the weight loss, not necessarily the drug. Uh, and, and many believe that, you know, that improvement could be just from the weight loss. And so I, I want to remind me of a study that was done on, uh, around bariatric surgery, where they basically took uh, very obese patients. Half of them got bariatric surgery. Half of them didn't. They both, both groups had diabetes and severe metabolic dysfunction. The group that had bariatric surgery had the bariatric surgery diet. And then the control group got the same diet as the people who had surgery, but without the surgery. And you know what? There was no difference in the outcome. So was it the surgery that worked or the diet that worked? Well, it's pretty obvious from my point of view. These drugs have become a craze and there is a lot of money flowing into research. Unfortunately, most of it's funded by the industry and by pharma, but we're going to get some more answers. But what we're seeing now is an increase of very serious side effects for people who have been on it. Uh, long term. There's also common short term side effects, but there's common side effects that, that affect the gastrointestinal system. It basically makes you nauseous, vomit, and have diarrhea. And that happens in 50% of people who take it. But there's more, more very serious side effects that I'm concerned about, including gastroparesis, which is paralysis of the stomach, meaning you can't move food through your stomach. And that creates a huge problem. Bowel obstruction, which often requires surgery. And, uh, pancreatitis, and even death. And we're going to talk about all these side effects in a little more detail in a minute. Now, this really makes me question the long-term uh, use of these and the widespread use of these. And we're, we're going to go deep into the side effects. But the real question is this, uh, you know, that no one asks is how did obesity triple in the last 60 years from about 13% of the population to 43% of the population? I can guarantee you it's not an ozempic deficiency. Functional medicine provides a better framework for understanding root causes, particularly around obesity, metabolic dysfunction, and type 2 diabetes, and provides a way more sustainable and affordable treatment that works. I've seen this over and over again. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So let's get deeper into what's going on here in America. Why is this drug important and why are we seeing such an increased use of it? Well, we have a problem. There's no denying that. You know, as I said, 93% of Americans have some type of metabolic dysfunction because of poor diet and lifestyle. Uh, that means only 6.8% of Americans are metabolically healthy, meaning they're not somewhere on the continuum of uh, type 2 diabetes, meaning they don't have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, or overweight, or have had a heart attack or stroke. So only 6.8% of the population meet that criteria. The rest of us are metabolically unhealthy and somewhere in that continuum. Six in 10 have a chronic disease. Uh, four in 10 have two. Um, there's over 400 million people around the world who are diabetic. 90% obviously are type 2 diabetes or more. Uh, 40 million Americans or one out of every 10 Americans has type 2 diabetes which is uh, terrifying to me. Uh, as I mentioned, over a billion people worldwide are obese and over 2 billion are overweight. 43% uh, of U.S. adults are obese. 75% uh, are overweight. 40% of kids are overweight. It's, it's, it's just really a problem. Uh, we saw increase in obesity during COVID because of uh, the stresses and the challenges people faced. Um, and, uh, you know, we're seeing now Wagovi or semaglutide, another version of Ozempic, is now approved for 12 to 19-year-old obese teens. Now, one in four teenage males has either prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. That's frightening to me, 25%. And the, the, the obesity rates are staggering. You know, teenage obesity is at over 22% um, from between 12 and 19-year-olds. And as I mentioned, 40% of kids are overweight. This is not a problem that's because of genetics. It's a problem because of our toxic food environment. And the cure isn't a drug. 
especially a drug that has serious side effects and needs to be taken for a long time or lifelong. Now, this is a great business model for pharma. You have a very expensive drug that needs to be taken forever. It's a gold mine and it grates customers for life. But teens have a problem. They're targeted by the food industry. They have all sorts of issues around eating disorders. Um, there's lots of uh, unlawful advertising and targeting of kids, videos going viral on TikTok. Uh, and, and, and it's really concerning to me. I think people don't realize that there's literally $10 billion or more spent just directly targeting junk food and processed food ads to children. And now there's currently trials going on in kids as young as six years old for the Govino Zepin. I mean, six years old. I, what are we talking about here? This is nuts. Um, and it's not addressing the root cause. It's not addressing our food system. It's not addressing our toxic nutritional landscape. It's not addressing the fact that ultra processed foods make up 66, make up 60% of our diet and 67% of kids diet that ultra processed foods account for about 90% of the added sugar in our diet, which is about 150 pounds of sugar per person per year, about 34 teaspoons a day for kids and 22 for adults. That's nuts. It used to be, you know, maybe 22 teaspoons a year when we were hunter-gatherers. This is causing all sorts of metabolic dysfunction. Uh, and, 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 and this metabolic dysfunction is it's not just about weight. It's obviously about obesity, but it's also about type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia, fatty liver disease, chronic kidney disease, and, and, and premature death. Now, this is a huge problem. Chronic disease is bankrupting our system and our nation. There's four, now $4.3 trillion spent on chronic disease and healthcare in this country. In 2000, it was $1.6 trillion, and that's only 23 years ago. So we are in a crisis of, of accelerating disease, accelerating costs, and it's not solved by a new drug that is, has serious side effects and, is, and may actually cause um, a bankruptcy of our nation if we follow through on this. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at the uh, cost here, diabetes alone is $413 billion in 2022. Uh, Ozempic is exploding in, in its revenue. And, you know, one study in the New England Journal of Medicine found that if just obese Medicare patients were prescribed Ozempic, the cost annually to the government would be $267 billion a year. Now, to put that in perspective, the entire Medicare Part D, which is the drug benefit program, is $145 billion. So it's another hundred plus billion dollars a year over what we're spending for the entire drug benefit for all drugs, for all seniors. This is an insane amount of money. So if, if we were to do that, we will bankrupt our country. If, if, and if all the overweight people and obese people in America took Ozempic or a similar drug, it probably will cost over $5 trillion, which is more than our entire healthcare expenditures. Now let's talk about the risks because I think the, this is where it gets sticky. Uh, everybody's looking for the miracle cure, the miracle shot, instant weight loss, and it, it can work. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying that it's not a free ride. Now, um, now part of the problem is that many drugs don't, don't, uh, have long enough studies when they're initially approved. And the longest study is about 68 weeks in, in, in these drugs. Now, often these side effects don't occur till more chronic use of two years or longer. And there's some of that data coming out now, which is called post market, uh, surveillance, meaning after the drug comes out, let's look at what's happening. And, and it's a, it's a bit concerning. Now, we're seeing a lot of side effects, not just the nausea, vomiting, diarrhea that's in 50% of users, but we're seeing uh, side effects that are, are life-threatening, things like gastroparesis or paralysis of the stomach, bowel obstruction, uh, and pancreatitis and deaths rising. Now, now to put things in perspective, as I, as I share some of the statistics around 
the findings of people who've been on this drug longer and what it's doing to them. Um, in medicine, when we see a 20 to 30% increase in a response to a drug or a side effect, it's considered highly significant. For example, statins, which are a blockbuster drug to reduce heart attacks, they only reduce the risk of heart attacks by 20 to 30%, and that's a blockbuster drug. Now, now, now listen carefully as I explain this next study. In a study of over 4,000 patients published in JAMA, um, five out of every 1,000 patients had stomach paralysis, which was an increased risk of not 20% or 30%, but 367%. The risk of pancreatitis, which is an incredibly dangerous illness, which causes your pancreas to be inflamed and leads to type 1 diabetes, uh, maldigestion, and, and really very serious problems, uh, went up by 900%. And bowel obstruction, which is very serious and often requires surgery, went up by 422%, not 20 or 30%. So this is not insignificant. It's not an artifact. Uh, and in fact, when you see these kinds of studies, these uh, these data, you, you have to pay attention. You know, this is the kind of almost the risk we see with with smoking and cancer. These are really concerning, concerning numbers for me. And they're not trivial and they can cause permanent damage and require surgery. The other thing that people don't realize is when you lose weight, 40% of the weight loss with Ozempic or these drugs is muscle. And muscle is where your metabolism is. When you lose muscle, you lose your metabolism. It slows down and you end up needing less food to maintain your weight, uh, uh, even when you gain the weight back. The other problem is that 65% of the weight that you lose is regained when people stop the medications. So I think it's really, it's really quite concerning how we get off the drug, what happens, uh, what happens with these drugs with kids. We don't know. How does it affect development? How does it affect puberty, menstruation? It's, it's a lot of open questions. Now, I want to kind of get into this whole issue of obesity being a disease or uh, being genetic. I, I think there's a lot of conversation out there that's a little bit disturbing to me. Uh, and, and I just think, you know, just, <laughs> you know, if, if, if when I was born, uh, 5% of the population was obese, and now it's 43%. Did we somehow magically have a genetic mutation in the global population or in America to account for this? No. This is an environmental problem. Same thing with the Pima Indians. You know, 100 years ago, they were thin, fit, healthy. They had no obesity, no diabetes. They ate their traditional diet. They lived in Arizona. Now they're the second most obese population in the world. And... 80% get diabetes by the time they're 30 and their life expectancy is 46 and kids as young as two years old get type 2 diabetes because they're genetically predisposed, they're not predestined. And when they're in the wrong food environment, which they are, which is the white poisons, white flour, white sugar, and white fat, otherwise known as Crisco or shortening, which was their government commodity surplus foods they were given, even a word for it, they call it commod bod. You know, when you eat the commodity foods, you get big and, and diabetic. Now, this is not a genetic problem. And what's disturbing is that uh, Dr. Fatima Sanford, who's an obesity medicine doctor at Harvard and Massachusetts General, who was also on the Dietary Guidelines Committee in 2025, very disturbing to me, she said, you know, obesity is genetics. He said it on 60 Minutes. Uh, now, it's true that if your parents are overweight, uh, you're more likely to be overweight, but this is epigenetics, not, not necessarily genetics. <laughs> this is, means it's changeable. Uh, now, where were all the obese people 60 or 100 years ago? This is a whole nonsense. It's our toxic food environment. It's impacting our gene expression and our predispositions. Now, the idea that it's genetic is very disempowering. It removes our autonomy, our agency. It essentially says, this is a 
disease that must be treated with medication. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just genetic. So it's it's hard. Now, the costs of this are staggering, as I mentioned, for the for the drug. It's over $1,000 a month, $1,700 a month. You know, you depend on where you get it, but it's a lot of money. And you're supposed to take it for life. And really, it's hard to come off of. Uh, and it's going to be completely bankrupting our, our nation if we continue to, to do this. Um, and there's, again, as I mentioned, nationwide shortages for people who have diabetes because everybody who wants to lose 5 or 10 pounds or 20 pounds is taking this drug and getting it from their doctor because any doctor can prescribe a drug for any reason once it's been approved by the FDA. It's called off-label use. And this whole pill for every ill, quick fix, is is really not the solution here. We not we have not been addressing the root causes. Uh, the other thing I want to address here is this whole body positive movement and healthy at any size. You know, I think what's happening is that, you know, there's there's a confusion about this. The, we we do not want to blame the person who's got this problem for the problem. If you're overweight, it's not your fault. You're living in a toxic environment. If you take somebody and you put them in an environment where all you can get is ultra processed food and and sugar and starch, and you're told by the government to eat six to eleven servings of bread, rice, cereal, and pasta a day, it's no wonder that we have become obese. It's not your fault. And by the way, I'll get into this in a minute, but there's a lot of data on the addiction properties of these foods. So what's happening is that it, you know, is it, this whole movement that Doctors aren't talking to their patients about obesity. They can't. They can't say the word. It's considered fat shaming if a doctor diagnoses someone as medically obese or overweight. Um, people don't want to be weighed in the doctor's office. Uh, they don't want to talk about diet and lifestyle. They feel like it's shaming or somehow belittling. Uh, I think this is a problem, and uh, I think there's a lot of celebrity kind of endorsements and news media magazines normalizing obesity as healthy, but it's just not. It's just, just no data that it's healthy. Uh, I think the only, I think data was, you know, if you look at people who are older, uh, sometimes the data on, on when you're older shows that you die if you're thin, but that's because you have cancer or some kidney disease or something else that's wasting your body away. It's not because uh, being thin is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a risk factor for disease. It's, it's the diseases. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people are getting canceled for talking about this. I saw uh, a report about a, an email that went out to all the students at Columbia University talking about this in medical school saying, you know, you can't talk about this. It's fat shaming. And it sort of made it un not okay to talk about. Imagine saying, well, we can't talk about diabetes because, you know, that is a disease that, you know, they don't have, they don't have any control over. And uh, it's, it's fine. And diabetes is healthy in any way. It's just it's just it's kind of nuts. Now, I've been practicing this medicine for decades, and I've been doing deep dives on their people's biology with all these problems, and I see real issues when people have metabolic issues. Now, um, this, this whole being overweight thing, being normalized, is not scientifically true. Uh, it's, 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 uh, I understand the goal, right, which is not to victimize or blame the person who's overweight, but the truth is it's our toxic food environment, and it's the addictive, ultra-processed foods that are driving the obesity epidemic, not our genes. Now, there was a review of 281 studies in 36 countries, and it found that 14% of adults and 12% of kids meet the scientific definition for food addiction. Then, to put that in perspective, the prevalence of alcohol addiction in the population is 14%. Now, 12% of kids are food addicts based on strict criteria and scientifically validated metrics. This is not 
uh, an accident, by the way. By the way, the reason for this is that the food companies have designed these foods to be hyper-palatable and hyper-addictive and stimulate dopamine. They even do such things as put children in an MRI machine so they can see on a functional MRI which part of their brain lights up when it's triggered by different images of different junk foods. So it's not it's not trivial. It's not an accident. And it's not your fault. Uh, so if you struggle with weight issues, it's, it's really a complex issue that your metabolism, your hormones, your neurochemistry has all been hijacked by the food industry. And so is our kitchens and our restaurants and our grocery stores. And we're just unable to often find our way through. Now, uh, there's certain c- uh, concerns about Ozempic too, because people are using counterfeit Ozempic. Uh, they can get it online, they can buy it from different places, and people can get very sick from it. So I think I would watch out for that. Now, um, you know, there's there's a large part of the way traditional medicine is that misses the mark, uh, no pun intended, uh, because it doesn't address root causes. And functional medicine is about root causes. It treats symptoms, not mechanisms. It treats symptoms, not causes. So and it doesn't focus on prevention or lifestyle. There's no early intervention for prediabetes or weight gain. There's no lifestyle or exercise prescriptions that really are integrated into our healthcare system. There's no payment system for it. I say, you know, if you people... And doctors got paid to do this, it would work, right? I, I remember being uh, working on health policy in 2008 and I uh, was met with the Secretary of Health and Human Services and we proposed a lifestyle change program where we would basically guarantee that people would become healthier and reduce healthcare costs. And if they didn't, we would pay back the money that Medicare paid us and uh, or paid the doctor. And she said, well, this is great, but who's going to learn how to do it? Well, I said, if you pay for it, it's like if you pay for angioplasties, people will figure out how to do it. There was nobody who said, oh, well, how do we reimburse angioplasties? No doctors know how to do it because it's a brand new procedure. Well, guess what? As soon as they pay for it, people figure out how to do programs at work. And we we often don't, we don't do things until it's too late. We wait and see. I had a patient who had a blood sugar of 110. And I said, you need to see your doctor about this. And she said, well, yeah, but I, I, they said, we'll come back later when I get uh, higher in my blood sugar, and then we can treat it with di- diabetes tra- drugs rather than dealing with the, the fact that he was already on his way. So rather than dealing with the root causes, which is our food system, you know, we're trying to get a quick fix with these GLP-1 agonists like Ozempic, which do help suppress appetite, which do reduce calorie intake. Um, but, you know, it really is important to deal with the, the causes, not just the the, uh, the problem that is 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 uh, quickly fixed by a drug because there's downsides to it. And the real issue is our excess intake of refined starches and carbohydrates and sugar, ultra processed foods, and a, a lack of ability or access to follow a really whole food, nutrient dense diet that's full of satisfying foods, uh, lots of fiber, fruits and vegetables, protein, good fats, and, you know, the fact that we, you know, don't live an active lifestyle, the fact that we don't use our bodies, the fact that we're under-muscled and our metabolism is slower, all these things drive obesity. And I think, um, it, it, you know, one study by Kevin Hall at the NIH showed that people who are freely allowed to eat as much food as they want, whether it's ultra-processed food or whole food, they ate 500 calories more of the ultra-processed food because there was no rate-limiting thing in the brain or the body. It was like the body didn't recognize it as something that was food. And so it just kept getting more and more hungry in order to satisfy some nutrient needs. But it was like like looking for the love in all the wrong places. So it's important that, that we uh, also focus on nutrition quality uh, and, and, and our diet quality. You know, people are eating all this ultra-processed food. 
uh, but they, you know, they may be eating the same stuff, but just less of it because they're nauseous. <laughs> but, the, you know, the if you focus on a lower calorie intake, which is what happened with Ozempic, without focusing quality, you're going to become nutrition, nutritionally deficient. You're going to get worse metabolic dysfunction. You're going to have copper, selenium, mineral deficiencies, zinc deficiencies. You're not going to get protein, potentially have muscle loss, which definitely happens. And, you know, when you look at when you look at these studies, they don't look at body composition. They look at weight. And weight is is not exactly the most effective way to look at your metabolic health. It's really looking at how much muscle you have, how much fat you have, where it is, is it in your belly, is it in your arms or legs, and and the percentage. And so body composition is something that's critically important to do. And yet most of the studies don't look at it because they don't want to see it. The drug companies don't want you to tell you. So they just measure weight loss. They don't measure the percent fast fat loss versus the percent muscle loss. They don't look at the ratio of body fat, percent of body fat. Uh, lean, you know, they, they don't see how all this works. So uh, if you lose lean muscle, it's serious. If you lose lean muscle, that's where your metabolism is. That's what your energy factories is. That's where your glucose sink is. So basically what happens is if you, if you, especially in the elderly, if you lose more muscle, you're, you're going to become more frail and weak. But even if you don't, when you lose the weight, to lose 40% as muscle, which you do with uh, these drugs, then you, let's say you gain the weight back after you stop. You may be the same weight as when you started, but your metabolism will be slower because usually you gain all the way back as fat. So you don't gain back the muscle. So you basically end up worse off and needing to eat less and having a slower metabolism after the fact. So it's, it's, it's really quite concerning. Um, also, you know, we, we don't really focus on the right strategies around weight loss that we could. We could help people reduce starch and sugar. We could help them get off ultra processed foods. We can increase protein. We can increase good fats. We can increase fiber. We can increase activity. And we can do this in ways that work that are effective for behavior change because that's the other issue. And that involves group models and things like I've done with the church uh, at Daniel Plan in, in Saddleback Church and at the Cleveland Clinic where we have group model therapy for and treatment for chronic disease. And it works incredibly well. It works three times better than regular interventions. Um, now, part of, the, part of the thing I want to emphasize too is that it's not a free ride. Once you get on these drugs, uh, you end up Getting the weight back. Uh, in, in this one study called the Step One Trial, semaglutide treatment effect in people with obesity, it was a randomized controlled trial where they found that uh, two thirds of people regained the weight they lost two years after discontinuing the drug. Uh, and also, any benefits to their cardiovascular biomarkers like cholesterol also went back to where they were. Um, the other thing is that these drugs cause, can cause permanent damage. As I mentioned, bowel obstruction, gastroparesis, pancreatitis could change your taste for food, loss of appetite. Um, now, the, the side effects are not trivial. They, they occur in half of all the people in these studies. And severe side effects occur in 10%. So one out of every 10 people has a severe side effect from these drugs. There's reports of stomach pumping being needed because of bowel obstruction, even death. Um, and it, you know, taking this drug that costs a lot of money, even if it was lower price for the rest of your life with all these consequences, I think is highly concerning. And the longer you take it, the more concerning it is. Because one of the things it does, is it affects the GI tract. And that's why you have these symptoms of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. But what it does is it thickens the bowel wall. So it makes the bowel wall thicker. And that ends up leading to bowel obstruction. This may be a permanent thing. We're still not sure. And we're still not uh, clear on what's going on in the long term with these drugs because they haven't been studied long enough. Uh, there was a, a good study that came out in the New England Journal, an article I read years ago. It said, you know, be sure to use new drugs as soon as they come out before the side effects develop. 
know? So I think, I think that's true in this case. Uh, now, and these drugs do work, right? People lose 10 to 20% of their body weight. Uh, and, and it's not, it's not insignificant. Uh, so it can be a helpful drug in certain patients. I don't think categorically, like nobody should take it ever. I'm not against it, but it has to be for the right reason. Uh, and I've only prescribed it once in someone who was a, a, an older patient with severe obesity who had a, uh, neurodegenerative disease and we need to get his met metabolic health dramatically improved. And he was almost diabetic. So I think he was, he was one of the few people I've, I've used it for, and I would not use it long-term and I make sure he's having high amounts of protein and doing resistance training at the same time. So we, we see big weight loss, but, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we see also improvements in cholesterol and A1C and, uh, triglycerides and liver function. Um, and all those are good things, but it's not that it's, I don't think it's the Ozempic. It's just the weight loss. Like I said, with the bariatric surgery example, I have all the same results, even better, by the way. Uh, you know, we see, for example, uh, a reduction in A1C, the, the, uh, measurement of your average blood sugar, which is important. And it's, we see this with Ozempic, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, one point, you know, I, 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 I did a diet, dietary intervention with a patient at Cleveland Clinic and hers went from 11 to five and a half, which is almost a six point reduction. This is an algorithmic scale. So it's, it's, I mean, sorry, a logarithmic scale. So it's really a significant amount. It's not just a trivial amount. And so diet and lifestyle work far better than these drugs. Now, um, it does help with improving insulin sensitivity and improves a lot of these things, but you know, you'll see basically, you know, only, a you know, 1.3%, 1.6% reduction in, in the A1C. It's not that dramatic. And, you know, it's really important to realize we have a chance to, to do something quite, quite different uh, by having a more focused targeted intervention, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, now, the cardiovascular benefits are being touted uh, in addition to weight loss, but there was a large double line randomized placebo controlled trial that looked at, you know, the risk of heart attack strokes and so forth. And they found it was a reduction by about 20% over 33 months versus placebo. And that's good. Um, but you know, maybe there's cardiovascular benefit, but I don't think it's, it's independent of the weight loss. Uh, in other words, if you kept people at their weight and you gave them this drug, I don't think you'd see the same benefit. So I don't think it's a drug per se. And the GI side effects, as I mentioned, were really concerning, and I think we need to take those very seriously. The other thing you have to recognize when these drugs are being looked at from the research, it, the studies show benefits. They all look like it's a golden drug, but they're all paid for by Novo Nordisk, <laughs> and they're all paid for by basically by the company that makes the drug. So if you're Coca-Cola and you're studying soda, you're going to find that it's uh, not harmful. You're studying these drugs, you're going to introduce bias, um, which is is uh, really a problem. And it's the study design. It's the write-up of the study. It's what's included, what's included. Uh, and those things all can be kind of manipulated in, in a way that actually makes the drug look better. And this is, happens over and over in medicine. And this is not a new problem. Uh, and, and we know that drugs that are funded, uh, studies that are funded by the pharmaceutical manufacturer are often, you know, done with contract research organizations or, with large conflicts of interest. So I think we have to be really kind of skeptical in some ways also of these studies. And the thing also I'm concerned about is that just the long-term studies on these just have not been done. And then the more these drugs are out there, the more they're being used, the more we see these dangerous side effects come up. So what is the right approach? If, if it's not Ozempic, 
or maybe if it's Ozempic in certain select patients, or Regovi or Manjaro, again, I'm not opposed to these categorically, and they can be helpful. I think we need to kind of sift out the the risk versus the benefits and look at actually dealing with the root cause rather than just trying to put a Band-Aid on this, which is a very, very expensive Band-Aid with very, very serious side effects. Uh, now, what what we do in functional medicine is quite different. So we look at the root cause, at the root cause of obesity and type 2 diabetes. The problem really is the flood of incredibly toxic food-like substances in our, into our food supply that are everywhere ubiquitous and that are marketed to us aggressively and that are on every corner in every grocery store, in every restaurant, <laughs> it's it's a problem. And 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 these foods, these ultra-processed foods, these high-starch sugar foods are driving massive metabolic dysfunction, as I said at the beginning of the show, including you know 93% of us being metabolically unhealthy. They're driving high hyperinsulin levels. Uh, they're increasing our blood sugar, lipids, fatty liver, triglycerides, lowering HDL. And all these convenience foods are not so convenient when it get, makes you sick, right? We have high amounts of refined sugar in our diet, lots of added sugar, lots of soda, soda, sugary drinks, all sweetened with high fructose corn syrup, which is a whole other podcast on its own. So what is the solution? We have to really re remove these ultra processed foods from our diet 100%. There's really no room for them at all. You can eat whole foods. It doesn't mean you can't have foods that are delicious or fun or have some comfort foods. If you want to have pasta occasionally, that is a minimally processed food. If you want to have... Uh, occasional whole grain breads, that's fine. It's really about these weird foods that come from factories that are deconstructed uh, from their original source, soy, wheat, and corn, into the different molecular constructs that our body sees as foreign and that doesn't process as food and dysregulates our hormones, our brain chemistry, and our appetite, and our metabolism. And so these these are hijacking our biology. And we need to get rid of them. And of course, uh, we need to exercise. We need to do resistance training and build muscle. We need to learn how to manage stress, get adequate sleep, and all the things we know help help our health. What happens when you do this, and I've seen this over and over again. I mean, people, I just had a patient who lost 60 pounds. I didn't put him on Ozempic. He was a big guy, changed his diet, got him off the things he was eating. And we saw dramatic drops in his insulin. We saw um, basically the insulin come down, which is the key factor here. And this is part of what these GLP-1 agonists do is they help reduce this, this uh, insulin uh, resistance and improve insulin sensitivity and you need less insulin. Insulin is the fat storage hormone. The more insulin you have, the more fat you'll store and you'll store it in your belly and it gets locked in there and it doesn't come out unless the insulin goes down. And as long as you're eating a high starch and sugar diet, your insulin is going to be high and the fat's going to be locked in there and weight loss is very difficult. Also, it causes uh, these fat cells in your belly to become very inflamed produce all kinds of cytokines, which leads to more obesity, more inflammation, more insulin resistance, leads to fatty liver, messes up your triglycerides, HDL, causes more cholesterol problems, small particles, things we've talked about on the show before. It also leads to fatty liver, dysregulated appetite control, hunger, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's a big, big problem. So getting the insulin down by cutting down the starch and sugar, having more fat, protein, and fiber is really the key. Um, and, and that helps weight loss happen almost effortlessly and automatically. When you eat whole food, you'll restore your metabolic health, you'll reduce inflammation, your mitochondria will work better, you'll reduce oxidative stress, you'll have more metabolic flexibility. And so basically when you get to a more normal metabolic state, you can have more flexibility. So if I eat a bowl of ice cream, it's not gonna really affect me. But if I was diabetic, it would affect me. And by, you know, 
exercise an hour a day or whatever, I, or eat healthy or have a huge amount of fiber and, and protein and fat, it's really uh, um, important to, to understand that it really is about tuning up your biology so you can have more metabolic flexibility. Uh, so what should we be eating? We should be eating whole foods, real food, you know, unprocessed food or minimally processed food. I mean, sardines in a can is processed, but that's very minimal. You know what it is. Uh, and learn how to cook. If you don't know how to cook, this is really important. It's a life skill. You know how to drive, you know how to use your iPhone, you know how to brush your teeth. This is a basic life skill. And people who eat at home and cook at home have a better diet quality and they have fewer calories, they have fewer carbs and processed foods and added, added sugar and more fiber and more good fats. So focus on nutrient dense foods, focus on high satiety foods like fiber, protein, and fat. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we, we think about the uh, calories in the food, but we really need to think about the nutrient in the food. What's the nutrient to calorie ratio is it's, for example, if the nutrient to calorie ratio is low, you're in trouble. So Coca-Cola has almost no nutrients and a lot of calories. That's bad. If you have a lot of nutrients and fewer calories like broccoli, that's good. So it's not a hard concept to understand. I wrote that about that in my first book, Ultra Prevention, about the nutrient to calorie ratio as a simple concept about nutrient density and how to think about your food. It's really about food quality. Um, you know, we talked about getting fiber. Fiber is really important. Uh, you know, I was in Africa and I saw the Hadza tribe, which is one of the last hunter gatherers. And one of the things they do is they eat a lot of honey, but they don't have any metabolic issues because they eat 150 grams of fiber a day. Now, the average American eats about eight grams. Uh, we should be eating 30 to 50 grams of fiber. So that helps your metabolic health, improves your cholesterol, blood pressure, lipids, improves weight loss, slows the gastric emptying, prevents the sugar spikes, improves something called short-chain fatty acids in your gut, which is anti-inflammatory, have been shown to reduce um, uh, insulin resistance, help uh, you lose weight, and actually boosts GLP-1. So fiber is a natural GLP-1 agonist, which is a good thing, right? Um, and what are the sources? Well, lots of veggies, nuts and seeds. You should eat three to five cups of veggies a day. Uh, you should eat lots of nuts and seeds. Uh, you can have low glycemic fruit. Berries are great. Uh, and any kind of non-starchy veggie. Uh, also, protein is a key thing to regulate your appetite. We basically need a gram per pound of ideal body weight. So let's say you're my, my 180 pounds. I need about 180 grams of, of protein, not not if you were 400 pounds, you don't need 400 grams of protein, but you need to have enough to, to build muscle. We need about 30 to 50 grams per meal, depending on, on your size. Uh, it helps appetite control. It is a thermic effect of protein, meaning it takes more calories to burn protein. It reduces your appetite, so you lower, you lower your overall energy intake, leads to weight loss, and helps body composition because it helps you build muscle. So protein is really key. And animal protein has much higher bioavailability then, then plant proteins and grass-fed beef and, and lamb and uh, eggs, chicken, turkey, fish, uh, protein powders, like things like goat whey I like, or bone broth all help. Now, you know, you, you know, you can get, you know, a couple hundred calories in, you know, four ounces of chicken or, or meat, but you're going to get about, you know, a thousand calories if you get the same amount of protein from grains or beans, which is a lot of calories. And, uh, and you have to eat a lot of that food, like six cups of rice or two cups of beans for a four ounce piece of chicken or fish. So it's much easier to get your protein that way. Uh, high quality fats, also important. Uh, fats also help reduce appetite, make you feel full. Avocados, nuts, seeds, nut butters, uh, Animal animal foods with fat in them are all great. Uh, also, you can do time restricted eating. You know, twelve hours minimum, fourteen. I don't think you need much longer than that. Uh, but that helps. You know, don't eat before bed. Just 
really key. Just overnight fast, don't eat before bed, three hours, you're going to do much better. And then sleep also really important. Um, getting the root cause of, of some of our problems has to do with our sleep deficits. And if you don't sleep, you're more likely to be overweight, you're more likely to be obese. It re reduces leptin, which is the, the hormone that makes you feel full. It increases ghrelin, which is the hormone that makes you hungry. It increases cortisol, the stress hormone, it also makes you crave sugar. It lowers you know, blood sugar regulation and stimulates your appetite. And the Nurses Health Study, which was about 68,000 women, were followed for 16 years. Women who slept five hours or less a night had a 32% higher risk of a 15 kilogram weight gain. That's like 35 pounds or more. Uh, that's a lot. And for those sleeping six hours a night, there was a 12% higher risk of obesity. So get your sleep sorted. I, I have a sleep uh, masterclass. You can look at that. Uh, you can go to sleep same time every night you want to get six to seven eight hours minimum uh, six is usually not enough for people um then you want to move i mean there's no way around it our bodies were designed to move you got to move uh, about 150 minutes a week of exercise you know so it's not you know that much it's like 20 30 minutes a day uh, and it could be just a walk or it could be you could do walking uh in the morning or in the evening after after meals particularly after meals is great particularly after dinner even a 20 minute walk makes a huge difference uh resistance training uh three times a week to build muscle it really is key and muscle is really a sink for glucose so you have to build muscle. There's just no way around it, I hate to say. Uh, you can lift weights. You can do resistance bands. You can do body weight exercises, all of it. Also, it's important to mindfully eat. Uh, you don't want to be in front of the TV, scrolling on your phone. Why, uh, you know, Eat with family and friends. Make it a social thing. Enjoy the food. Take your time. Really important. Um, and supplements also can help because often we're nutritionally deficient. If you're more obese, you're more likely to be nutritionally deficient. Uh, in vitamin D and many of the B vitamins, magnesium, omega-3s. Uh, and so taking a good multi, vitamin D, magnesium, and omega-3s is really helpful. Uh, and if you're concerned, I would also look at, at, at some testing, which we can do. You can do through Function Health. Go to functionhealth.com. You can use the code Young Forever and get jump the wait list, but you can see what's going on with your metabolic health. We help you measure insulin. We help you measure your lipid particle number and size, uric acid, uh, and, and many, many things they want to see that look at your metabolic health in a very deep way so you can know what's going on. Also, you can look at your metabolic health by looking at your body composition, and you can use uh, InBody or those, those little machines you can use in some gyms or even a body composition test called the DEXA scan. Really, really helpful to know what's going on. So you got to kind of get a sense of where you're at and be personalized in your treatment. But um, in conclusion, I, I just want to share that I think this, this whole craze for these weight loss drugs is misguided. Uh, it's highly risky. It's highly expensive. It's, it's untested in long term. And I think we're going to see more and more problems and complications come online as these drugs are being used long term. Uh, it's not stopping the gold rush. It's not stopping the frenzy. But I had to put in my two cents here. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's not something I would never use. You know, if you have a type 2 diabetic who's not responding or you have some very obese patient, you need to get them to drop weight. And, you know, you need, need to do it for some medical reasons. I think that's okay. But often you really don't need that. I just had a patient email the other day, lost 200 pounds, no drugs, no bariatric surgery. It's possible to do just by following simple approaches that work with your body rather than against it. So I, I think I'm really concerned about the long-term consequence of this drug. It doesn't address the root causes. As we say, it's sort of, a, uh, it doesn't really kind of work in conjunction with lifestyle. And the side effects are very, very, very concerning. Um, 
and it's hard it's hard to come off it and we need to help people think about an exit strategy for these drugs rather i'd prefer you take a functional medicine approach that looks at your entire system at the root causes and and gets to the the bottom of it which is our metabolic poor health uh which is my, mostly caused by starch and sugar and ultra processed foods and it leads to high levels of insulin, insulin resistance, inflammation, and all those things can be addressed through a high nutrient dense diet, exercise, um, sleep hygiene, stress reduction, and 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 understand that you know if you're overweight, it's not your fault. We live in a toxic food environment, and and uh, it's really tough to do the right thing in this culture, but it's not impossible. It just takes a little bit of uh, learning and uh, and a focus and uh, an approach that I think can be helpful. And I've written many, many books about how to address this. The 10-day detox diet is probably one of the most important in terms of getting your metabolic health sorted out, and it does it very quickly. We put a diabetic patient on this who was you know very severely diabetic, and in three days, she was off her insulin. In three months, uh, she was off all her meds, and her A1C went from 11 to 5.5. So it's possible to do it. So that's my rant on Ozempic. I hope you liked it. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Leave a comment on your own best practices on how you upgrade your health and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And follow me on all social media channels at Dr. Mark Hyman. And we'll see you next time on The Doctor's Pharmacy. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Hyman. Thanks for tuning into The Doctor's Pharmacy. I hope you're loving this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do and introducing you to all the experts that I know and I love and that I've learned so much from. And I want to tell you about something else I'm doing, which is called Mark's Picks. It's my weekly newsletter. And in it, I share my favorite stuff from foods to supplements to gadgets to tools to enhance your health. It's all the cool stuff that I use and that my team uses to optimize and enhance our health. And I'd love you to sign up for the weekly newsletter. I'll only send it to you once a week on Fridays. Nothing else, I promise. And all you have to do is go to drhyman.com forward slash picks to sign up. That's drhyman.com forward slash picks, P-I-C-K-S, and sign up for the newsletter. And I'll share with you my favorite stuff that I use to enhance my health and get healthier and better and live younger, longer. This podcast is separate from my clinical practice at the Ultra Wellness Center, my work at Cleveland Clinic and Function Health, where I'm the chief medical officer. This podcast represents my opinions and my guest opinions. Neither myself nor the podcast endorses the views or statements of my guests. This podcast is for educational purposes only. It's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. Practitioner now. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their Find a Practitioner database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who is trained, who's a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health. Keeping this podcast free is part of my mission to bring practical ways of improving health to the general public. And in keeping with that theme, I'd like to express gratitude to those sponsors that made today's podcast possible.